All right, let's get started this morning. Pray with me, if you would. Father, we, we start with you. We, our focus wants to be realigned on who you are, your goodness, your character, your nature. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have a plan that you're working out. We're grateful for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your death, your resurrection. We thank you for the life you give us. And Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you indwell us, that you comfort us and counsel us, you convict us, you strengthen us, and you are the gift that we are so grateful to have in us and the oneness that we have. Lord, we just um, want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. We have a will, but we submit it to yours. We pray for greater yieldedness in our lives. We need you, Lord. And Lord, uh, today the needs I have that I would communicate well the way you want me to communicate, what you want me to say, <clears throat> that you'd help my friends here uh, grab some nuggets of truth that they can apply that would help bring greater health and flourishing that you want for us in our lives. So Lord, I ask your blessing upon this time. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna start with a picture well, I'm going to wait a sec. First of all, let me introduce a little bit more about myself. My name is Daniel Ambush Wallace, duh. And uh, thus the shirt. I found that if I buy shirts with my name on it, I don't have to wear my name tag all the time. And because uh, I end up leaving it when I change the shirt and then I have it back at the house and then I feel guilty and I got to run back and get it because my staff have to wear the name tags. <clears throat> I have four kids. I have uh, three girls, girl, girl, girl. And then boy, I got my son last. And uh, so every two years, that's the accountant in me. Uh, symmetry. It's, honey, it's time. We need another child. And um, I did, I was, uh, got a degree in accounting. And, um, and then, again, as I mentioned, got delivered from that bondage uh, in 1990 and uh, was hired to run a camp, a youth camp in East Texas. And I'm wired for that. I was just wired. I'm a systems guy. I fix things. Um, love Jesus. Love kids. And and it was just, it all came together. Hoedown was my roommate in college. Don't know if you knew that. He was a year behind me, really quiet guy. I was really not. And over the years, we've kind of kind of come, you know, just like kid marriage. I'm more like my wife, Michelle. She's the quiet one, doesn't want to be on stage, doesn't want any attention on her. Me, not. And then um, to where now, it's, again, I listen better and She's more assertive and I'm more patient. And so, but four kids, the youngest is 18. TurboTax is my son. TurboTax and Snow Flurry is my third. And then Dr. Hoop Doo, um, uh, she's my second. And then Danielle is my oldest. And I forgot her camp name. Um, puree, nice, man, awesome. Got me. And so uh, four kids, I love three of them. And um, I... <laughs> No, I love them all. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to I talk a little bit about wisdom at the beginning. Just, just some things that I just want to talk about. And then I want to go into some teaching. And it's, it was interesting last night that Lord designed in God's sovereign providential plan, Josh talked about parenting, the seven A's. I'm going to talk about some 
another angle of it, but I'm going to talk about parenting. But when I say this, I'm even going to go talk about fathering. Now, just, but I want, to, I want to ease your nerves if you're a mom or a grandparent or single. The principles of parenting I have applied to my employees other than spanking. <laughs> that would not go over well. But what I've done as a parent, I actually do as an employer. How I engage an employee that is in a coaching session or the uh, appreciation of my staff. Mother Teresa said that, that people crave appreciation more than bread. And then you go, whoa, that statement from her in light of helping the poor and hungry in Calcutta, you go, that's a big deal. So these things apply. So when I get onto that topic of really fathering, know that if you're a mom, a single mom, hey, you do the best you can with, with the, but these principles can be applied to employees. They can be applied to people at church. They can be applied uh, to friends. So I just want to ease you on that. Uh, but I want to start is with a picture. I, pictures to me speak. I can you see a picture and then there's all sorts of biblical messages that come to me via scriptures or, or, um, or biblical application when I see it. And it's just, the, I'm very, very visual. And so I want to show you this picture how many of you have lived down south? Okay, there's a lot of you. So you know, you know that summer, July, August hot day, you went into a store, grocery store, mall, whatever, and it's been an hour and a half, two hours. And you go back to your car and you're walking on the asphalt or the car and it's just radiating up and you know what's in store. And you're not looking forward to it, especially if you have little kids. Because those car seats have been sitting in that oven. And there's that little metal clasp that if, it, by you, if they touch that with that little baby soft leg, they're burned. And you're going to that car and you open up that car door and that heat just goes And you're like, man. And you might even have that little fold-out accordion NASA thing, reflector that goes in the windshield, supposed to reflect all this heat. That's one of the things I hated. I hated going back to the car, open up that car in the heat. And I go, I got to get in there. And then the air conditioner is going to take a little while to cool, start cooling the air that's blowing and you're sweating. And you're like, man, this is ridiculous. I need to live in Michigan. <laughs> I just want to say that I recognize as I even get into teaching and sharing anything that most of you have something that is difficult for you right now. The more I live my life, the more I engage an honest relationship with people, the more I realize that you just gotta scratch the surface a little bit and all of a sudden, some deep, painful trauma is right there. We cover it well. I got mine right now, last two years, nothing's changed with my daughter. In the last year, it's, 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 just, it's just chronic pain. Um, some of you are curious about my health. My health has been stable. My mind, I can't say, but my body is in good shape with my, my uh, MS. But my daughter's, it's, it, and it's been hard. So it, I go from <clears throat> one minute, I'm, I'm enjoying y'all, and we're enjoying, you know, the South Dakota crew, bringing it last night as our, in our finale. And that was <laughs> a great job, a lot of work. 
it's a lot of work. You don't know it until you, you do something like that. You go, that was a lot of work. I mean, they get different, different, in different songs coming out and different coordination. But you have stuff like that and you're like, that was awesome. And then you pause and you start, sit down and you're like, but I still got that other thing that's just heavy. So knowing that, I just want to touch on this at the beginning, that the Lord is with you and he loves you. He has not abandoned you. He may seem very quiet. I feel like he's been real quiet with us. He hasn't said a whole lot, but we know he's with us and we know he weeps with us and he grieves with us and he does with you. <clears throat> and what I'm finding is that as the months go by, the days go by, that he's got a surprise for us at various times and in ways we won't expect. But we have to be aware that he is bringing good and it's from him. Taught on Lazarus and I taught on how Mary and Martha were comforted for days by mourners, but they stayed for days. And when Mary hopped up to go check on Jesus, they all hopped up fast with her. How many, how many mourners, even if they were employed, I think they loved Mary and Martha so much. They loved who they were that when Mary popped up, they popped up right with her and went with her quickly. After four days of mourning, you think they kind of get a little lazy with it. I think they loved Mary and Martha and it talked about how God, they were there to comfort Mary and Martha. And it didn't hit me until I was studying that text a year or so ago, two years ago, that God sent those people to comfort Mary and Martha because Jesus wasn't physically with them. But God sent those people to comfort them, it says in the text twice. And I didn't notice it because I'm thinking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And Jesus goes, I was there through those friends that were mourning with you. So I say all that to say, just, I just want to say it because I just know that many of you, there's hurting. I want to show you this picture as a reminder. Hot car, you guys are probably going, where is he going? Hot car, you open it, okay? But God has got cookies <laughs> on the dash. So the car is still just as hot as it ever was. You still are dealing with this trauma, this struggle, this crisis, health issue, job issue, all these things, whatever it may be. But God has got cookies on the dash. And that perspective. Kids, take in that smell. It's hot. Oh my goodness, that smells good. It's because there's cookies on the dash. changes your perspective coming to the parking lot. You go, oh no, there's good in store. Oh kids, there's good in store. There's cookies on the dash. So I just wanted to start with that because I know that y'all are carrying stuff and there's cookies on the dash. Let's not forget in the midst of it all. So what I want to do, I want to look at some scriptures on, tr on wisdom. When we think about wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom is different than knowledge for the sake of my discussion today, this little first part. Wisdom is different than knowledge. You can take on intellect and knowledge. You can get smart, you can have multiple degrees. Doesn't mean you have wisdom. So knowledge and understanding I would look at as, as this horizontal knowledge engaging in, in our sphere of this earthly realm. And then wisdom is the tool 
to apply, it's vertical, it's the tool to apply what we know. So you can have some really smart people do stupid things, just turn on the news, look online. Smart people doing stupid things. And sometimes that means stupid, I mean just outright no common sense, but sometimes I'm talking about the way they're coping with stress, coping with life, and the choices that they make. You go, really? You have two billion dollars. You live in the best, you got houses ever, and you're taking your own life. You're so smart, and yet you, the wisdom of God that could have guided you. So wisdom, as we look at it, Scripture will talk about buying truth, don't sell it, get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. We want this wisdom. This verse, I think, is awesome. Because it's good for me to be reminded, because you're, you know, you're not supposed to call someone a fool. And I was brought up, you don't call anyone a fool. But when God says it in a verse, it's kind of nice. <laughs> if you trust in yourself, you're a fool. No, anyway, I was thinking about junior high boys talking to each other. He who trusts in himself is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. We're seeing the value of this wisdom, this tool that God gives us to apply our knowledge and our understanding. And another one I'm going to throw out to you from Ecclesiastes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers of a city. Back then, the rulers of a city ruled the city. It wasn't quite, you know, as a democracy as ours. And so, but one wise man or woman, one wise person can be more powerful than 10 rulers of a city. Chew on that for a while. You start to get really curious about this wisdom of God. You go, wait, now what am I missing about wisdom? Now, when I was in third grade, maybe second or third grade, I can't remember which, I read about Solomon and I read about how he responded and how pleased God was. And I was like, oh, I want that. I want God to be pleased with me like that, you know? And, and so I started praying for wisdom. And for years and years, I still do, probably not as much as I used to, but I do still pray for wisdom. And I pray for wisdom for my family and my wife and for my staff. And for... Because wisdom can make a person more powerful than 10 rulers of a city because of what decisions we make with what we know. Now Solomon, in all of his wisdom, this is another important point. You can have the wisdom and you cannot apply the wisdom. So that's the second phase. You want to ask for God's wisdom, He can give it to you. But then the choice is, am I going to do what I'm sensing the Spirit is leading me to do? And Solomon, in the latter part of his life, he didn't apply the very precepts that he knew. So there's a danger there. I want to encourage you with this, James 1, 5, and 6. Some of you may be thinking of some of your children going, Oh, I got one that lacks wisdom. He lacks a lot of stuff. Yeah, pray for him. And then start praying with him or her. Tell them about the teaching, what, what happened with Solomon. Let, encourage them to pray for wisdom every day. <clears throat> I didn't always make the best choices. I am a different person than I was. And I continue to be more conformed into the image of Jesus as time goes by, as I ask. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously, and I love it, to all, without finding fault. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Wisdom is free. You just got to want it. 
you want it. God goes, oh, I'm all in. Let's load you up. Now this, uh, this text, it's, it's kind of long, and I'm going to cut out a few verses just for the sake of making a point. We know this song, many of us know this song from the days when we were children. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came to him. And we do that. And then you get to the foolish man. This is the exciting part because as a kid, you're not allowed to scream. I mean, we've gotten, we've gotten to where we're giving kids more freedom. But when I was a child, you couldn't make a lot of noise. So you're excited about this foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down. And the rains came down. The floods came down. The rains came down. The rains came down. The floods came down. And the house on the sand went smash! You love that part. The smash, because you could yell it, and it was like, gah! Jesus is teaching. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it was, its foundation was on the rock. Christ's words is teaching but anyone who hears these again, the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, compare these two. I'm just taking the same text, okay? I'm going back and forth just so you see. I'm not changing any of the wording, but I just want to focus on these two parts. Look at the, how parallel these words are, and there's not much that changes. Therefore, everyone, down below, but anyone, or but everyone. So you got everyone who hears these words of mine. That doesn't change. But the only thing that changes, there's two things that change. Puts them into practice versus not putting them into practice. You're wise or you're a fool. So the reminder that God's wisdom, we all need it. It's the tool to apply our knowledge and understanding. God is generous with it if we want it. But if we don't put it into practice, God's teaching, his words, his precepts, then what happens? We're foolish. Now that's just good for me. Because there's times I don't want to. I don't want to do what I know I'm supposed to do. That was a problem with Paul too. I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't. Scripture tells us. So it's, it's a human problem. story I tell probably more than any story. One of my camp directors, one of his kids, she's like four or five years old. She used to intimidate me. She's a little stout little thing and she'd walk around. I mean, she just didn't look very happy. She didn't look very nice. And she scared me as a little four or five year old. I just said, I don't want to do anything that child. Well, we disciplined similarly. We spanked you know, we, they do something they shouldn't have done. We send them to their room, sit them on the bed. You know, go sit on the bed and I'll be there in a minute. Give them a chance to think about it. And they're thinking they know what's going to happen. They know they're going to get spanking. I believe my dad always said there's a nerve from your bottom to your brain. I got to trigger that nerve every 1.7 days for me. And um, <laughs> so you'd be sitting on the bed and then, and then we come, you know, the dad, you know, mom, dad come in and they're sitting there and they're starting to think about it. And they know spanking's coming. And so, uh, and then... Then you come in and you say, now, I can't have you hitting your sister. We're not going to do that in this family. We're going to get along. And so because of that, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you two. You know, lean them over the bed. And we used a little thin glue stick. It was long, but it was very, very thin. And I know this is totally not something that people talk about today because our culture. But I'm telling you, look at Hoedown's kids or my kids or people that have done this. And then look at people who don't. 
And I'm saying we did everything perfectly, but I will tell you, there's a difference how they turn out. And it's not my teaching. This rod of correction, what it does is it brings freedom because now what they did, they experienced a, 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 a pain and then they're forgiven. So you discipline, then you let them cry, you go back. Then when you come back in, you hug them, you pray with them. All right, come on out. I lived in a house where there was no guilt. So when I was done with the discipline, it was as if it never happened. I mean, they're like, hey, we're watching this ball game. Come on, son, come on. And then we're free. I have an understanding of free, freedom and forgiveness because of the way my parents disciplined me. I don't ever walk around feeling so guilty and I don't shame. I don't have it. Why? I was disciplined. In a sense, I paid the price and I'm, I'm not forgiven. And by the way, this is not what I was planning to teach them, but I'm just going to give it to you just since I touched on it. We said the word spanking and y'all are going, ah. Okay. There's a circle, there's God's physical laws and there's God's moral laws. And he has, there's a circle, what, what's within those laws, okay? God's physical laws, gravity. When you go outside of the boundary, you experience a pain immediately. Temperature, certain degrees are within range that are uh, comfortable. And then there's some that are not, they'll burn you or freeze. And, and, and so we understand that. You go out in the cold without a coat, your body can't handle it. There's hypothermia, there's frostbite. You touch a hot stove, boom, ah, your kids don't do that anymore because it's like, oh, they do it once. Oh, and that's, that's a really colorful circle underneath the, the glass countertop, not gas stove. And then, ah, it's like, I told you don't touch that. They don't do it again. No. Once, ah, okay, they don't touch it again. They try that Superman cape off the top bunk once, maybe twice, because the first time they landed on their brother. And they jump off and they're gonna fly, and they don't. Gravity brings them down, it hurts. What do they do? They stop. They used to roll off the bed. It hurt, I wake up crying. Mom's like, God's, his, his physical laws, there's a boundary. When you cross them, there's pain. In God's moral laws, the pain is an immediate. Interpretive dance. <laughs> You're fine, Shauna. You're fine. Tell him I said hi. God's moral laws, there is a line. But God says, I'm going to partner with you, Mom. I'm going to partner with you, Dad. And you're going to bring a pain, a consequence around that boundary, unlike gravity or temperature. I'm going to have you do that. And as they start crossing that line, you're going to bring a physical pain calmly. It's for their benefit. And once you do this consistently, they don't touch the hot stove or they don't touch the hot stove, morally speaking. Again, I didn't do everything right, nor did Michelle, but our kids don't fight over a hairbrush. That's mine. That never, that did not happen because when it did the first time or they shoved each other, we're like, oh no, that's not happening in this family. We draw a line around the moral boundary. We go, no, 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 we're going to love each other and we're going to serve. It even, we even had it where I take one of my kids on a date and they'd be like, oh, what about me? And I stop. Boundary around the moral order. The Lord has so much in store for us. He cares. He is so generous. We're going to be excited for other people when something good happens for them. Because God has good in store for us at another time. You're going to get a date with daddy, but we're going to be excited for each other. 
Now, that's not a spankable event, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying it's a boundary and consistent. If it's not consistent, think about it. What happens if it's all, and at one time there's a boundary, you're not supposed to you know, hit your brother, and then next time you can't get away with hitting your brother because you're in a store, and you see how confused they'll get? But when that boundary is clearly marked, and when they cross it and you go, okay, that, I'm going to give you a spanking. And there's a physical pain, much like the, the, the physical law pain of gravity. When there's a physical pain, then the child goes, oh, that's not acceptable. And when you do that consistently, guess what? They quit crossing the boundary. They may get to the edge of it, but they'll, you know, but that... The progressive education movement did a deal where they wanted to see kids on the playground. They took the fences off the playground. And the, and the, and the kids kind of huddled in the middle, but then when they put the fences back, they, got, they, they felt freedom and they were able to play and use the whole playground because there was a fence saying, we, you know, you're not going to cross this. The freedom your kids can have when they know what is right and wrong and you've given them that boundary, then what happens is you don't have to keep guarding the boundary. They get a a moral compass, a true north to where they know. And then the Spirit guides them. My goal as a parent has always been to not have to be the one on that boundary, that I'm going to be a consistent boundary for God's moral laws. And then over time, I don't have to do much about it. And then I ask them as a, in middle school, have you prayed about it? What do you think the Lord wants? Do you think the Lord wants you to go do that? Do you think he wants you to play on the soccer team? Do you think that he wants to instead have you do this sport? Well, let's talk to God about it. He knows he'll guide you. And then pray with them to where they're starting to try to go, God, what do you want from me? What, what do you, it's your, my life is your life. What do you want? And then by the time they're a senior in high school, they're making their own decisions. Now it's a little hard, it's a little weird on your first child because you're like, they're making their own decisions. Well, wear what you think God wants you to wear. I don't know. You, know, you just don't know if you want to say that. But you want them in a safe, secure environment on their last year in the home so when they're making their choices and they make a bad one or potentially you could talk to them about it, you surely don't want them getting their godly counsel from their college freshman roommate. That sounds great! You know, it's like, no! So that's why it's their senior year. So we've always been asking about what is God? So they go from being relying on me as their boundary to what is the Lord telling you to where then they have a conscience and then you're enjoying the dining room table with all the siblings there because they're governing themselves because of the moral compass of the spirit because they had discipline when they were younger. They can start at any time. I, I even got, I, I egged as an eighth grader and it was a big old ordeal because they were trying to catch my friend in the middle of the night and then they woke up his dad and they knew him because he was a professor and then they got me. So my parents are up at three in the morning and I haven't come back yet. I had mono at the time, and so I was running for my life because if the fraternity guys that we egged, the guy, the guy that we thought was a, uh, an older person, it wasn't an older person, it was a fraternity guy that was a football player, and he got his fraternity buddies, and it was night, we didn't know, and they chasing us, and so I'm laying in a yard with, I had mono, and so I was just fatigued, I couldn't even move for a couple hours, I'm laying there just thinking if they get me, they're going to hit me, and spleen's going to break, I'm going to die, and so it's a freako night, and so I finally make my way over time, back home, it's three in the morning, and I see that my parents are up with my buddy's dad, I'm like, I am dead. I came in, sat on the couch. I remember falling over. And, um, basically, the next day, I, I, I was disciplined, and uh, the nerve was stimulated, even at that age, because it was a big enough event. And, um, but then my mom took pictures with the Polaroid. 
get, and then my buddy never did get caught. He was a, he was a fast runner too. Um, and so anyway, he, she has this whole picture. This is associate, this odd sort of forgiveness. I had already paid the price, you know, and nerve stimulated. And then my mom's like, get some eggs. And so I get a picture with my buddy and we're holding eggs. And we take a picture. Because you're not going to do it again. But let's remember this moment. You guys, you know, so we, I have the picture. It's like October 16. You know, whatever. It's like, who does that? But because they did their part with the boundary, now they're free to enjoy us and look back at this and go, Man, you all made a mess of life on this one. So that may be a shocker, not planning to cover that. But the Lord must want that covered. So I'm covering it. So all I was going to say was, if you put into practice God's word, you're a wise person. If you don't, you're a fool. So, and I love this verse, and I'm going to move out of the wisdom talk. A wise man sees danger and takes refuge, but a fool keeps going and suffers for it. Two places in Proverbs, I just put the Proverbs 22 text, but there's two places that this verse is referenced. It's profound. I want to take refuge for my family, for my marriage. I want to see danger coming and wisdom will tell me, God's spirit will tell me, and then I need to take action. If I keep going, I will suffer because that's what happens to fools. They keep going and they suffer. And we see it in the news. We see it, who's arrested. And you go, how did that person get to that point? They didn't take safety, find safety. So the value of wisdom, it's invaluable. Don't sell it. Don't get rid of it. Keep asking God for it and then apply it. And baby steps, okay? Baby steps. And by the way, one of the first things that may happen if you're a parent is you may end up feeling convicted to apologize to your family for inconsistency on this moral border of God's laws. And you want to help be a better father or mother in bringing definition to that and explaining to them, this is why we're going to have some consistency. Again, I throw that out to you. Again, didn't do everything perfectly. Mm, don't need to. Because the Holy Spirit of God guides us. And then if there's something I didn't do well, I apologize for it. Strategy where I want to go on this part. Start now. Choose something. At least on this wisdom. Choose one or two things as I'm going to give you because I'm going to give you a lot of stuff. Choose something and then start working on it. You know, do something. You say, I want to eat better. Then have a little, you know, sprig of broccoli. You're making progress, you know, if you never eat broccoli. Just do something, moving yourself down the road of positive, positive action. All right, I wanna, I'm going to use this. Uh, Ken Canfield was doing his research back, at, back, back in the day. Uh, went to my church. Um, he's, the, he's the founder and, and director of the National Center for Fathering. Um, actually drew a lot from my dad. Now, my dad, godly man, but he was the colonel. So there's some things I've modified because I have a bunch of girls that are wired like my, my wife, who's much more sweet and tender. So it doesn't work to go, hey, everybody in the car, you got three minutes. If I leave you, girls, we're going to be, you know, it's a different deal, okay? But Ken pulled from my father a lot in his own life as a father. Went on to get, be a doctor and do all these things. But I found that his book had a lot of effective research. And that's what I want to kind of cover. We're going to cover just a couple, two points uh, over this time. 
but I hope they're gonna be helpful. What he did was he took research and he looked at effective fathers and he looked at typical fathers. And he, he did the research on where, where are they different? Where is there a, 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 when you juxtapose these, where is there a big variance? And he says, effective fathers are different. Oh, they experience the same fears and frustrations and perhaps no one ever gave them special fathering instructions either. But somehow they move with confidence, often lacking in other dads. In addition, they go beyond the basic bread and butter issues of fathering, such as spending time with the kids, being physically nurturant, and exercising discipline. Of which, by the way, if that's the bread and butter, there's a lot of parents aren't even doing that uh, in this world. Relationship with their children. My girls will actually tell me about the date. They're dating someone tonight. It was our first kiss. No. Yeah, and inside I'm going, what? <laughs> okay, I'm being honest with you. It's like, ah, ah, but, but my daughters are telling me things. They have told me stuff that they usually reserve for just a girlfriend that they tell. Because by God's grace and his help and his wisdom and my just yielding over time, I reached a deeper level of relationship with my kids. They practice perhaps intuitively the seven secrets of effective fathers. Now, he, in his research, he saw that there were seven things effective fathers did differently than typical dads. And again, if you're a mom, hey, these can be applied as a mom. If you're not a parent, apply these, we can all apply these principles with our coworkers. That is awesome. I just need that, I just need that just to have that. That's just like, you know, my staff get a hold of that. I'm in trouble. They'd be like, cricket, 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 cricket. It's like, oh, hint? Okay, we'll stop. The seven areas that affected fathers that were different than typical dads. Commitment, knowing their kids. Do you know your kid's favorite color? Do you know their best friend? Do you know their favorite movie? Do you know their favorite dessert. I'm just saying these things because these are some things, and by the way, I'm taking, some of this is from a father-daughter conference, a father-son conference I've done, and I took a lot, and I started slicing slides, but, but I want, I, week one, a lot of kids, and usually week one is where I look to the Lord to go, okay, confirm what direction you want me to go with the adults, confirm, confirm what direction you want me to go with high tide, confirm, and so this is why we're doing this, is because the Lord confirmed we're going this direction, but do you know your children? Effective fathers had consistency. When we talked about the boundary, if you're not consistent, one minute they're in trouble, next minute they're not, one minute, I mean, you know, you've worked for a boss, you don't know what boss you're getting that day. You're getting psycho boss, or you're getting the friendly boss, or you're getting the, nothing's worse than unpredictable boss, so you don't know where the boundary is. Protecting and providing, loving their mother, active listening, and spiritual equipping. These are the seven areas that he writes about in his book, in his research, that effective fathers were just different than typical dads. Now, I'm gonna cover two in the time I got, and I may skip a bunch of slides more. The two are these two, commitment and spiritual equipping. And the reason I'm gonna cover those two is because in his research, commitment was the category with the greatest variance between effective fathers and typical fathers. This is the biggest gap. 
well, to me, I go, well, then that's the one I want to focus on because I probably got a gap. And the second was spiritual equipping. So we're going to hit these things. And again, you don't have to write it all down. You don't have to memorize it. The good thing is you can get, a, get the book if you want to read it. But the point is get one or two things. Some of you are going, I could do more than that. Okay, three. Write down those three things and then set the goal to start moving down the road to being better at that or to apply that. Okay? And, and don't compare. Comparison is a thief of joy. So don't be comparing your kids to your sisters and her kids and your, your nieces and nephews. Just, what does God have for you? And know that he's got cookies on the dashboard. And everyone's car is different. And it's going to temperature and the way it radiates and the AC is going to be different. So don't compare. Just say, okay, how can I be a little bit more committed to the wisdom God gives me? All right, let's look at Commitment. Commitment. How effective fathers approach their fatherly commitment or moms or, or employers. Effective fathers pursue their commitment aggressively. I'm going to tell you as an employer, my, my director team, I've got four directors that report to me and a, and a senior manager. They matter to me more as people than as employees. Now that isn't the business model. That's the biblical model. I'm more concerned about how they're doing in their marriage. How are their kids? How can I strengthen them? Versus what can I get from them? Are they producing a lot? Are they cranking out results? Are we... Now, I can't ignore the business side. And I'm a business guy. But the Spirit of God has been putting on me, am I committed to my director team and my staff for who they are? And I'm aggressive about it. Last week, I brought some fudge sickles over to one of my leadership guys' house and his wife talked to her. This is at night too, because, and it was on my day off. It didn't matter, but there was stress happening. And I said, you guys need to take these. You can take my golf cart. You need to go chill out. And you guys just need to, to get a little of this uh, organic 80 calorie fudge sickle because it's good for you. Because they needed to just connect and they needed to calm and just relax a minute. Now, is that outside my bounds as a, as a director? Yes. I didn't, didn't go over there as the director, the executive director of the ministry. I went over there because it was my brother in Christ and my sister in Christ. And they matter more to me as, employ, as, as people than employees. So I'm bringing this to the whole, if you're not a dad, this applies. But I take it and I'm very aggressively committed to this evaluating. I continually think about my commitment level to my kids. I continually think about my commitment level to my wife. I mean, my wife, she's opposite of me. It attracted me to her. I could provide, I could do all these things because I'm different. And then we get married and then it's like, who are you? You're different than me. I just didn't realize that it could be frustrating. They could point out my weaknesses. <coughs> that I had to learn to adjust to what... Do you think it's a part of God's humor? It's, we're going to make them opposites. And they're going to really... It's going to be awesome. At the same time... <laughs> uh, that's not how he did it. But anyway, I just... But I think about my commitment level continually. Fathers that are effective, they talk about their kids and their commitment. So you go, hey, I'm thinking about taking my family to an outing. 
You know, it's, it's the best part of the summer. Hey, I was thinking about going to a baseball game, minor league, doesn't really matter because they just want to go for the hot dogs and the dipping dots and all that stuff. So, hey, would you guys like to go? Because I just think our kids, that'd be so fun. You're, that's what you did this week. boy. You brought him to family camp. Now, some of you are going, okay, you're doing better for me as a dad. The dinner is a buffet. I like that. You know, so you're getting something out of it. But some of you came just because you knew it was good for your kids. You knew that there'd be spiritual, godly college kids who would be great role models. Way to go. You're committed to your family. That's what they're talking about. They plan for the future commitment based on the kids' needs. You're thinking ahead. I got one of my kids very meek. Not, well, I'll just tell you, my son, he is a nice kid. He was bullied because he's such a nice kid. Fifth grade, I, I'll admit to you, I wanted to, I wanted to maim and dismember a child in, in the fifth grade. I wanted to hide somewhere where he would hang out and stalk him, and then I wanted to break his bones. I'm being honest. He was bullying my son, and he was bigger, and he was a punk. And the Lord's wisdom said, you don't want to go to jail. <laughs> Your wife is a much better roommate, and she loves you. But I'm just being real with you, because I'm sharing some positives, but I'm sharing some real too, the negatives. But I did plan. I met with the administration. I said, this has got to stop. We came up with a plan. They did great. The Gullick School administration did awesome. And we had signals. Some of you, it may be, do you have, I mean, this is a simple one. What happens when they get in that one situation and they're with their friends and they want out? Have you talked through what that might look like? And you can say, hey, not trying to scare you, but there may be a time where you're at a party and you realize, oh my goodness, someone's got drugs and this is going on. You're like, ah, I don't want to be here, but you didn't drive and you're with a friend and you're like, and you don't know what to do. Got a plan. We're going to have a code word. Yeah, code word. No one knows it. You don't tell anyone. If you tell anyone, you'll dissolve just like cotton candy in your mouth. But you go, we're going to have a code word. And let's just say your family's code word is podium. That's our word, podium. Podium. Now, we did this with our kids because my dad and mom did it with me. And it was brilliant. Never use that word, but everyone knows in the family. And then when they're at a party and they go, I got to get out of here. Then they go, well, oh, I'm supposed to call my mom, check in. Just let me check in with my mom. Hold on a second. Hey, mom. Oh, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Yeah, it's going really good. Hey, by the way, I, yeah, I'm here with my friends. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're really awesome. By the way, oh, this just popped in my head. Dad put that stupid podium in the hallway. Can you ask him to move it? I was just thinking about that. I stubbed my toe or whatever, you know. And they're like, do you want me to come get you right now? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, but I just want to tell you, everything's great. I'm loved. My friends are awesome. All right, I'm coming right now. Are you at, you know, 4265 Boulevard? Uh-huh, okay, love you. Yeah, 11 o'clock. Okay, great, bye. She's awesome. Good mom, for the most part. <laughs> and then mom shows up and goes, oh my goodness, we had an emergency. I've got to get my daughter. I've got to get my, we had an emergency. Come on, I'll tell you about it later. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is traumatic. Let's go. And then you just get them out. And they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
that's just one situation. It can be like for my son, it was like, I knew he was gonna be a nice guy. And I figured with my thin runner body shape, he's not gonna be a big guy. And yet he's a nice guy. And I, so I start calling him big dog, big man. So alive. what's up big man? Because he needed to hear it from me that his dad thinks he is a big man. He's a big dog, <laughs> big dog, <laughs> big dog. Yeah. Hey dad. <laughs> You're my big dog. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, as the Spirit leads you, is there something you're supposed to take and start applying? But effective fathers are aggressive about their commitment and they think of their future needs. Okay, they also, effective fathers, monitor their commitment level closely. They read the vital signs of their family like a stockbroker reads his Wall Street Journal. Let me go back to this one. This can, I'm telling you, these things can be so fun when you submit to the Lord and true with, and with your staff. We're going in the summer, this is a couple years ago, and it's April and we got summer coming, stress levels are high, retreats are happening, it's busy. And I think, and I'm doing just like I do with my family. I go, how's everyone doing? I wonder, you know, and, and am I engaging with them? Are they engaging with each other? How are they doing together? Okay, we need to do something. So I sent out an email saying, hey, on this date, free up the two hours because we're doing a road, we're going to do something together. We're going to go out to eat and we're going to do some other stuff. Like, ah. So we go out, we go to uh, some uh, Red Robin, I think it was, we've done different places. And then we get there, I'm like, oh, and that was the other thing. Someone was leaving on staff and it was, that was a downer going into the summer. And so I send them with their spouse to a movie and some money for candy. And then the staff that are stinking around, sticking around in the next couple of weeks that won't be leaving, I said, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to Kohl's. Now, I don't know if you've been to Kohl's. They got all sorts of goodies. But what we're gonna do at Kohl's is you're gonna go pick out a shirt or something that you can wear, but a shirt of some sort, whatever you want. Nice shirt, button up, polo, I don't care. And then we're going to get it and we're going to have you pick out the color thread you want and we're going to have it stitched with our logo on it so you can wear it with Golik Ministries. And we're going to pay for it. So we go and then think about it. We're a bunch of adults, but we're at Kohl's. We're like, what are you getting? What are you getting? Well, I'm thinking about this one, but I'm also liking this one. Does this look good on me? And like, no, it doesn't. Don't do that one. You, you know, and, you're, and, you're, and everyone's going to the ladies that have the, you know, the taste and like, what do you think of this one? And they're like, oh, I like that one on you. That's good with your eyes. It makes your eyes look so good. It's like, okay. So everyone's like, we're all talking to each other as a staff. And we're like, this is, and we're all like congregating and huddling. And then what threads you want to do? And we, and we later, I quit doing the thread thing because that was just too confusing. So, but anyway, we did it. We hung out at Kohl's. It was a blast. But the commitment level and the connecting with one another, I realized something needed to happen. So I took my staff to lunch and to Kohl's and we paid for it. Those kinds of things. I did it with my family. It's winter time. Michelle's going a little crazy. I'm going a little crazy. We love the winter time, but then there's, we just got to get out because we're just in, 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 in. Snow's all, you know, it's like, okay. And this is when they were younger. So I said, go get a bandana. You've got three minutes. And they're like, what? what? Why dad? Like, I didn't say why. I said, go get a banana, a bandana, <laughs> smear it on your face. I mean, put it on your face. You got three minutes. Well, they go get the bandana. They know something's up. Michelle kind of comes in and goes, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. She goes, really? I go, we're just going to go with it. 
She's like, okay, have fun. And then she goes back in, because that means she's going to have a break, because I'm, so I take them outside, they get their coats on, we go outside, we do a trust walk in the snow, then I'm like, this is kind of boring, this isn't the exciting thing I wanted, I want, so then I basically, okay, and I open the back of my vehicle, and I go, okay, you're going to come up to a thing, you got to climb this, whatever this is, you got to climb it, and so they start climbing in, I go, okay, where are you, and they go, we're in your car, I was like, oh, I don't know, but you got to know, and I said, there's going to be a prize, if we get to the end, and you know where you are, there's going to be a big prize, and if you get to the end, and you don't do it right, then you don't get a prize, so you got to work together. Again, thinking about coming together, team, we're a family, work together. So the kids are like, <gasps> so I start driving, I stop. And of course you're helping them go, okay, where am I at? We're just pulling out of our neighborhood. Are you sure? That sounds pretty good to me. And I take it right, end up going just down around and then to Arby's. We're pulling in, there's a mire and then there's Arby's. And as we're pulling in, I go, do you guys know where we are? I pull right before we get to the drive-thru. I go, do you know where we are? And then my oldest, Daniel, she's like, well, it could be Meyer. I think it could be Meyer, but why would that take us to Meyer? Um, oh, Arby's, Arby's, it could be Arby's, it could be Arby's. We didn't go very far in the parking lot. Okay, maybe it's Arby's. And they're like talking and I go, okay. And, and you're kind of help guiding them, you know, like, no, you guys seem like you're pretty smart kids. And then they're going, okay, your final answer. We think it's Arby's. I don't know. And I eat an inch forward to where it crosses. And I bring my window down. The cold air's coming in. Welcome to Arby's. Can't take your order. And they're like, ah! I go, take your bandanas off. And they're like, wow, order whatever you want. Shakes and the water. They ordered whatever they want. It was the most unnutritious meal ever, but it was so good for the event for them. Best thing ever. And it was a great memory. I did those. When they got older, I say, okay, everyone in the car. Like, dad, I got homework. Yeah. Do you want to get in the car? I think you want to get in the car. And they're like, oh yeah, get in the car. Hey, dad's in one of those moves. Get in the car, let's get in the car, let's get in the car. So they get in the car and we go over. It's a beautiful day and it's in September and we pull out and we go over to Applebee's and we pull out, I park outside of Applebee's. And I say, hey, let's sit right here. This is really nice grass. And the lady starts coming out because I'd already ordered our appetizers and beverages and they brought it to us and we sat out there. And we just talked, took some pictures and those kinds of things. It doesn't take, it's not, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just a deal. It's just something. Read the commitment level. How are you doing? If you've been traveling a lot, buy gifts. I bought them all in advance. Put them in my closet. Come back from a trip on the weekend. Go, oh, did you bring me something? Yeah, I brought you guys stuff. I got stuff. I got stuff for you. I didn't lie. I go, I got stuff for you. And they're like, ah, is it any? I go, wait, let me put my bag away and then I'll bring it out. Go into my closet. Okay, what do we got here? And I had, you know, Cracker Barrel had those old time stuff and the root beer, little, you know, little candy canes and different flavors. I had all sorts of stuff. And then I bring it out and I go, there you go. Like, ah, oh, daddy. You know, they're so excited. Again, always, and then bring something buy something for your spouse if you're married. <laughs> what about me? Oh, I got you a massage. It's going to be next week on Wednesday. I already set it up. It's like, oh, you love me. I do. I do. Effective fathers actively seek ways to stimulate commitment when it begins to decrease. I was talking about that. There's accountability as well. Talking about it with other men or women, uh, reading things, uh, Go Lake Ministries family camp, uh, movies, sometimes movies, sometimes I'll watch like this one, I have this one clip of Father of the Bride where he's talking and the daughter's saying, I'm going to be married in Rome or something or whatever. And then it becomes the little girl talking and he's like, mm. but it was a reminder that time goes quickly. Savor it. Make the most of it. Because she's going to get married someday and I'm going to go, wait, you're just my little girl. And the time's gone. 
So those kinds of things, watch home videos. You know, we'll watch home videos of family. My family loves it. Because I didn't do that real long videoing of the same thing. It drags on that soccer game and you're trying to find. No, no, no. I just, I did like little 30 minute and one minute clips. So when you watch it, it's a highlight, highlight, highlight. They always was, I wish you would add more. Yeah, well, you don't want what I had when you first were born. I had two hours of you laying in the crib. And when you'd go, go, oh my goodness, look at that. Yeah, look at that. I can't throw those videos away. I feel guilty, but it's like, really? I will never watch hours of you laying in that crib. I'd never say that to him that way, but. Okay, effective fathers have a task orientation toward fathering. Mothers do, employers do. Okay, task oriented. They view their fathering as an occupation. This is what I do. 24, seven, 365, check it. Sorry, I was about to go into the Mr. Incredible's Dollar Tree mask. That was kind of fun. Anyway. Um, they don't view their fathering as an obligation. Like, it happened to me. I got kids. I got a father. No way. They view the word father as a verb, not a noun. Effective fathers draw confidence from their inherent authority in their role as a father. God gave us our roles as a mother, as a father, as a friend, as an influencer. I take the role as an influencer very seriously. If you're in my sphere of influence, I have a role God has given me to help you, to shape you by my behavior, my friendship, so that you could become more like Jesus. Despite their personal feelings of inadequacy, they take confidence at their heavenly father, that their heavenly father has established faithful fathering as one of their essential tasks. I'm a dad. You're a dad. You're a mom. You're going to be a dad. Are you preparing? You're going to be married. Are you preparing? Ron Capico, chaplain at Spring Arbor University, speaks here, and he's funny when he, and we haven't speak to our summer staff because he understands college kids after almost 40 years of cha- uh, being a chaplain. He'll get these people, these students that go, this is my list. This is what I want for a husband. And they have it all written out. And they'll go, is that you? I know you want that, but he's like, are you becoming that? And he puts it back on the student to start with you. It's an essential task to be a godly person. So let's start with ourselves. Effective fathers rise to meet the challenges as the complexity of the task increases. Staying calm. We find ways to be effective in the face of adversity and discouragement. We adapt, respond, change, pray, pursue, wait, It's work, but it's a priority. My fathering comes before my executive directoring, but I know being a good father is gonna make me a great executive director. The principles apply to both worlds. They understand that father's father. So even when I got the diagnosis for MS, it was a blow, I had a lot of symptoms for the first year and a half. I met with my family at, when the time was right. Isaac was probably young enough to where he really wasn't tracking. Um, so, but I told my, my daughters and I met with them and I said, hey, I just need to share with you. We don't know what this is gonna look like. We don't know what tomorrow holds anyways, but our God does. And I'm indestructible till God's finished with me. But I do have this autoimmune issue and this is what could happen. And these are the steps I'm gonna take. And this is why you've seen me get like real hippie on you with these I was in my first phase. I took a class at, a, that was at our church and it was real extreme. No cooking, anything over 110 degrees. Everything was raw. 
that lasted until I got to, I lost about 20 something pounds and everyone thought I had cancer because I looked like I've been going through chemo and my wife's like, you look awful. And so, and it wasn't sustainable. So I started cooking, heating, and there's a value to that, but that's, that's, I wasn't that bad off yet. So I was like, I'm going to, but I, I cleanly eat. I have smoothies every day. I try to, you know, I do organics when I can. Obviously, uh, you know, I tried to cook one summer for myself and it was too much doing both at home and, and, and Michelle and me. And so I just, I eat here and I say, Lord, cover me. This is what the Lord, you've provided. So I'm going to eat here and I'm glad he lets me eat here because um, it's so good. Now I didn't have dessert last night. I didn't have dessert on Monday night, but I will tell you that last week in the first week, there's French silk pie tonight. It was my favorite when I was young and I took a little bite off of someone else's who had already left the table. And I thought, that will keep me from eating more because it had been a piece of pie and they only ate a part of it. And I thought, oh, I'll just take a little of that. It won't affect anything. And I, they didn't touch that side of it. I don't even know who was sitting there because I sat late. And so I sat and I took some. I thought, this, that'll stop me. It didn't stop me. I ate the whole pie. It was someone else's. Sugar's a drug. True. And then what I didn't tell you, there's another little piece of pie. Someone cut like one in half and no one had eaten that. I ate that too. <laughs> so I stay away from the French silk tonight. You all enjoy it. But I took steps. But I brought my kids in and I share with them. I remember Dr. Hoop to do. She said, Dad, thank you for sharing. I am going to pray for you every day. And if anything changes, bad or good, I want to know. I'm in this with you. <laughs> she rose to the occasion. My kids have risen to the occasion. They're with me. So practical activities to strengthen your commitment to your child. Verbalize your commitment. I have pictures of my kids that were on my desk for years to the point the sun's actually has an outline around where the pictures were. I had this picture of my son in whatever third grade or whatever he was. It was there for a very, very long time and it had a little bubble window that I wrote on it said, this is my boy, exclamation. So when he came in, not only did he see his picture up there and his sisters, but he saw this little bubble around him as my son and it was like, that's my boy. Verbalize it. <clears throat> share, your your, share your childhood. I came across the posting. I don't know why I did, but sometimes I'll do something and I'll put it and I'll repeat it every year and then it just reminds me I did it. So it's just, a, again, a reminder of what I, things I've done and go, whoa, that was three years ago. I need to do that again. It talked about how I was up late with my girls in 2014. I was up late with my girls till two or three in the morning during orientation week when we were pretty tired, telling stories about my childhood and laughing. It just said we laughed all night. So sharing my childhood, this is what I did. Oh, I was stupid. And then I've got my daughters now going, Dad, there just aren't boys like you. Because I wasn't a boy like me back then. <laughs> Ask your mother. And she'd be like, oh, girls, oh, oh, your dad, he did stupid things. Have him tell you about the bow and arrow. He's like, no, no, okay, we're done, we're done. But the point was giving him hope. They go, hey, I wasn't the me you see back then. You got to look at what's there and where they're going and your trajectory. So anyway, uh, let your child know you're accessible. This is a big one. And even in my office, I do this. When someone comes in, hey, you got a minute? I go, I do. Finishing this email, I just communicate the why. I go, I do. Give me four minutes, but do not 
stay away. I want you back. I want to hear what you have to say. But let me, I'm in the zone. Okay, great. They go. I finish it. I learned this because then I got frustrated. I got derailed. I didn't finish it. So I finish it. Boom. Or I come to a stopping point and then they come back. Sometimes if they don't, then when my kids, I'll go, hey, you looking for me? What, what's up? I go after them and they're like, oh, that's not a big deal. I go, no, it is a big deal. You want to talk to me? What do you got? But it says to them when my body language, leaving my office, my study to go see them, find them, it says I'm committed to them. Uh, look for occasions, even create them where you can simply have fun with them. A few more. Assist your child in the activities he or she enjoys. Play tea party if they're little. I mean, even last night, how fun was that? I don't, remember, I don't know the little guy at the end there. We were done, but he wasn't. He wanted some of that action that was going on on the stage. But that's how I'd done it. Just, you know, they may get, I mean, it didn't happen. But if I worked here, if you worked here and all of a sudden they wanted to be, I just never get on stage. Let's do it. You know, and then bring the family and say, okay, we're going to cheer for each other. Just like do the townships, you know, and you, it just, you know, the point is you're making memories, you're connecting. Place photographs or other reminders of your child in visible places and notify others in addition to your children of your commitment. And do this with your spouse if you're married. I mean, you're, you're, or to your, about your staff. I'm committed to my team. And I tell them, you value more to me as a person than you do as an employee. You matter. So, I took way too much time. I'm going to fly through a few key slides on the spiritual equipping because it's spiritual equipping. And by the way, I meet with my staff periodically, and I do spiritual equipping. That's what I call it, spiritual equipping. And I do some sort of teaching, how to share the, bad, the good news and the bad news, the bad news of sin, good news of the gospel, and we, you know, how to the share the gospel. We, I cover things with my staff to spiritually equip them, or I'll have somebody else on my staff do some teaching, and so we not, we're not just working. <clears throat> the key on this verse, God's invitation for our involvement, we love God, we want to love His Word, and then we want to impress it on our kids. And we impress it on our kids by living it. Um, there was a study done called Hardwired to Connect. It was a secular study, a new scientific care for authoritative communities. The outcome that I wanted to share with you that was, that was done and led, I think it was by Dartmouth University, was we are hardwired to connect to people. Duh. Glad that they came to that conclusion. We know that from Scripture and our God being three in one. And we're made in His image. We are also, this is what I thought was important, that we're all hardwired to connect a moral meaning and the possibility of the transcendent. Now we know what that possibility is. It's a reality. It's our God, Yahweh. He is, he, is, he is the answer and the fulfillment for life. But knowing these things is helpful. And then it goes on to say, if you want to impart one's values, if you want to impart your values to another individual or your child, two things must happen. Develop loving, intimate connections with your child or with your staff, or with your spouse. If you want them to embrace truths that you hold dearly, God's Word, you do two things. And then you model the very truth. That's that consistency. You model the very truth you want them to embrace. It's real simple, and we know this, but it was nice to have a secular study that I can then use with certain audiences to say, this is what the secular research shows. We know this from God's Word. The human child is talked into talking, loved into loving, and related into believing. I love that phrase. As you connect with your child, my kids embrace my value system because of the relationship that I have with them and how I've approached them. They're not scared of me. 
I've told them to my girls, they go, you can sit on my lap. Doesn't matter how old you are, how tiny or big you get, you're beautiful. And so just yesterday, one of my kids sat on my lap and just, they just love me. One of my kids, one of my girls this morning gave me a big old kiss. Dad, I love you. It's because of the relationship. I wasn't perfect, but I was honest. And I screwed up, I admitted it. If I was harsh, I apologized. I made restitution. I found apology note that I wrote to my son back when he was in late grade school because he walked across the grass with bare feet and I had just put down chemicals and I told him don't cross the grass, but he was too distracted. And he walked across the grass and I was, cut, and I was doing something, I had already edged, so I was doing something outside and I go, son, I told you. And I did like my dad would have done, but for me it was normal, but for him it's not. And so I realized that I crushed his spirit a bit. And so then it was during the summer, so I was tired on top of all that. And so then they went to meet with the Palolas on Friday evening for a, you know, dinner at some restaurant, sit on a deck. I came late because I was still doing some work at the house. And I wrote an apology note. It's like two-page apology note. And I went and bought him sour straws. And I brought it to him. And I remember because this day I called him over because I didn't screw this script like this with a tone that often. And so I brought him. I go, hey, I said, can I talk to you? And he kind of sheepishly kind of came over. And I go, I go, hey, I am so sorry. I sinned against you. My tone was awful. It wasn't that big a deal. I shouldn't talk to you that way. I love you and I respect you. I want you to know, here's an apology note. And these sour straws are just to let you know I'm serious. <laughs> and he goes, Dad, I love you. He gives me a big old hug. Years later, I found that apology note in his drawer. They're related into believing. With virtues, Lessons are better caught than taught. I, I, this is just something that I just found to be true in my 29 years of directing camps. Virtues, lessons are better caught than taught. I can say it all day long about get with kids and love on parents and serve, but they're going to be caught. My serving, my example is what they're going to catch. So if you don't want a sarcastic home, don't be a little sarcastic because the next one applies. With vices, what you do in moderation, they'll do in excess. You cuss once in a while, okay, don't be surprised if they cuss more than you. And you'll be like, well, I can't believe you said that. And they're thinking, you say it. But you do it in moderation, you see. But that doesn't matter. What you do in moderation, they'll do in excess when it comes to vices. If you're a little sarcastic, don't be surprised if they're way sarcastic. If you argue and fight a little bit, don't, don't, don't be surprised if they're arguing and fighting with their, their siblings. Does that make sense? These, these two things, I don't know why, but these are true for my, for my ears. And then this is a little sermon. They notice. And again, you don't have to be perfect, but admit it. Say, hey, I've been walking the escalator and I know I'm going to work out. And that's kind of lazy. I want to get better at that. Hey, will you walk the stairs with me? Yeah, dad. See, you're pulling them in. It's a relationship. It's authentic. It's real. You're still in the authority, but you don't have to, you're not, you're not operating out of, out of a position of power you see, when you serve others sacrificially, they take notice. And what do they do? They give you authority. They follow you regardless of your title. They follow you. And then you lead because it was given to you. When you operate out of a sense of power, they can't wait till they get out of your stinking house to where I don't have to be under your power and I can do what I want to do. Now, I know that's not y'all. I'm just saying is, but that's what I see in angry teenagers when I'm out and about. 
Because the parent is operating out of a position of power and they're lording it over them and they're being tough. And, and guess what? They can't wait to get out of your house. But when you, have a, when you operate in a position of authority, you're serving, you're listening, you're validating. You're like, that's tough. How can I help you? And then they're like, you love me. And then they want to follow you. That's the kind of leader I'm trying to be at Goal Lake Ministries. I've been trying to be for the last 14 years here. Just, I want people, I, because if I left, I thought about this back when I was in Texas. If I leave, will anyone be sad? Or will they be happy? Ambush is leaving. Yeah. Or will they be like, Ambush is leaving? No, I love Ambush. What kind of a leader am I? Am I caring about the person? So we need to not take the escalator. If we think we're going to work out, let's work out. Um, Here's some things that they did. Read the Bible together. That's why we do BBBSBs here to get you started. Have uh, time of worship. I mean, put on YouTube on the TV. Technology is all there. Put on the phone and listen to Elevation Worship and just worship as a family. Hey, we're going to listen to a couple songs. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you just want to sit there and enjoy it, that's fine. But we're going to worship Jesus for a little bit. And then we're going to watch the movie. And just take some time. I mean, just incorporate it. Don't make it the spiritual time. All the time is spiritual time. All the time is physical time. All the time. It's just, it's all integrated. Faith, learning, and life. All right. Um, In regards to perfection or adequacy, the next best thing to perfection, he says in his research, is honesty. Your honesty and transparency regarding your spiritual life can teach your children much that your near perfection cannot. You don't have to have it all together. That's why I encourage a lot of dads, start with apologizing. It'll stun them. Because you didn't do everything right. And you tell them, you know, they make me take a driver's test to, be a, a, to drive a car. They make me, you know, take a, a, a CPA exam to be a, C, a certified public accountant. They make you take these tests. There's no test for parent. I'm learning, just like you're learning how to be a good kid, how to be a good teenager, a good citizen. I mean, I'm, I want to follow Jesus and I need his help. That's powerful. Give grace, you get grace. Give mercy, you get mercy. Okay, and then uh, ways to help for myself to equip myself as an effective spiritual equipper, uh, grow in my faith. Don't underestimate the power of living a holy life. Guard your integrity. My son and I, way back, something comes on television. We're sitting there watching. All of a sudden, commercial, bikinis. I would like, and honestly, I am a guy. I like, I think women are beautiful. God made it that way. But I'm not supposed to see that woman or those women in bikinis. I can see my wife in a bikini, but not them in a bikini. So even though I want to watch it, I I talked to Isaac. I go, even though we want to see that woman in whatever she's in, we're going to honor, you're going to honor your future wife and I'm going to honor your mom, but we're not going to look at it. So when anything comes on, this has been going on for for years. We go, I look at him. (laughs) Big dog. And the, girl, and, the, and the girls, they're like, okay, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay, here we go back. All right. We've been doing this for years. He's helped me. I tell him, I said, son, that's why I need you. Be a godly man. Now he's like, I'm helping my dad. We're helping each other. We're real honest. Again, honesty. They're accepted no matter what they do. I accept them. I love them. I want them to launch well. My job is not to control them. My job is to help them launch. And I can tell you, 
my daughters have said on a number of occasions, I was over at my friend's house also, and there was something that came on TV and their dad just kept watching it and it was gross. There's a, there's a discomfort for the girls if they see me watch. And I knew because the wisdom of God said, you shouldn't be looking at this whether you're alone or with them. Look away. And the more I condition myself to look away, God honors it. I'm stronger. I can resist. But I made sure Isaac knew. We want to look at it. I mean, that, we like the beautiful lady, but we're going to honor God and honor our future spouse and my wife. So guard your integrity. Get feedback from my wife and kids. Just this last week, I asked my, um, uh, my wife and I asked my daughter, one of my daughters, is there anything I'm doing that I need to stop doing? And is there anything that I'm not doing that I should do? Oh, dad, you're great. No, no, seriously. I really want you to think about it. Not right now, honey. Is there anything? No, you're doing really good. Are you lying to me? No, you're doing good. Lead your family in worship. There's something powerful in that. Give, uh, be quick to express your gratitude to God. I think gratitude is a huge sign of confidence and faith in the Lord. No matter what's happening, there's cookies on a dashboard. Prepare yourself and your family for authentic participation in church. That's usually one of the worst mornings. You're always behind. You're fighting. I stop. I mean, we drive, but they go, okay, we're going to stop. I'm going to pray. Because this day is about us honoring God. And in the process, he's going to give more, to us more than we could ever give to him. Pray together. Say, let's listen to a little worship here. And as we're driving, get our minds right. Serve and sacrifice for others who cannot and will not repay me. Think of other people. I was blown away by my kids. Um, Dr. Hoopty Doo was still in high school. Snow Flurry and, and, uh, and, and TurboTax. They were in the car. They would be going across town. It's 35 minutes to their school. They, uh, Noel would drive them. <clears throat> I was checking on things, making sure that the insurance card was in there one time. I basically go, I was checking, so I thought, check, and I was in the trunk, and I, I see these backpacks. I go, what are these backpacks? There's like, there's like three backpacks. They're the same backpack. And I start opening them up. There's like socks in there and some food and packaged foods. I go, what in the world? What? These aren't their backpacks because we have a backpack shelf that I built that they put their backpacks on every day when they come home. Went to Michelle and I said, Michelle, what are these backpacks in the back of the car? Oh, that's for the homeless people. I go, what? They go, oh yeah, they have those in the car and then when they're driving to school, sometimes they'll see a person on the corner and then they pray about it and if they feel, they'll have one of those backpacks, they'll put it in the back seat and then they'll hand, it, they'll hand it to the homeless person on the way to school or on the way home. Our children? But I didn't initiate that. They've seen the counselors, they've seen their mom. Serving and sacrificing is a part of their DNA now. And they don't get repaid for it. And so they spur my faith. Ask God daily to conform you and me into his image. Those are just some ideas. So pick something, whatever it may be. Start off, take steps. For sure be asking for wisdom and asking for the Lord to help you have the strength to apply it. But something other. Because bottom line is we're leaving our mark on our kids. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. This was not a Cove Kids, by the way. This was not a Cove Kids. And then, um, and uh, just know that they do what we do. They do what we do. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I am so grateful for your grace because I didn't do everything right. I still don't do everything right. 
but you have taught me and I've been learning how to apologize and to make restitution and to humble myself. And Lord, your ways are the best. I would not wanna go back to being the husband and father and leader I was five years ago, definitely not 10, definitely not 20. I'm very grateful for who you are molding me to be. I wanna look like your son. These men and women wanna look like you. We want to bring life and flourishing to the people around us, our children or our spouse or our grandkids or our employees or our fellow uh, co-laborers with Christ, for you, Christ. We just need you. So we pray for your wisdom. We pray that we would apply it and be wise. We pray that we would be encouraged daily, that you would give us cookies on the dashboard, that we would start to see your activity in the midst of our, our hot cars. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'm gonna get you out of here in about four minutes.